So I'd like to welcome everybody back to another very exciting episode of the Stories from Southwest Virginia podcast. And if you listen in on the past two episodes, we talked to some craft brewers in Montgomery County. But on today's episode, we're going to be visiting some wineries and learning a little bit more about those processes and the story behind two very fantastic wineries in Montgomery County. Today, we're going to be talking with White Barrel as well as Bellavo Farm and have a great time doing so. So first of all, I'd like to thank both Ivan and Rick for joining me on the episode today. And if you wouldn't mind, I guess, uh, uh, Rick, we'll start with you. If you wouldn't mind just to introduce yourself to everybody and give us a little bit of an idea behind your winery. Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Dr. Rick Oviso. I'm the owner of White Barrel Winery in Christiansburg, Virginia. White Barrel has been around since 2009, and we have a tasting room right off of Childress Road, and we are open to the public year-round and pretty much every day of the week. That's wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that with me, and here as we go along in our conversation today. Definitely want to dive into different types of wines you have and your story of how you got started. And I think that's something our viewers are going to be very excited about. But Ivan, uh, welcome back to another episode today. We're excited to hear a little bit more about your your wine, but I'll let you take it over and give everybody a little introduction. Okay, so I'm with Bellavo Farm. This is a a project that my wife and I own. We have 165 acres on this farm and we have 13 acres of vines. Last year we produced 60 tons of grapes and we make a whole array of of dry, semi and sweet wines. And that's pretty much what we do. That's excellent. And one thing that I do remember you saying about your location is the beautiful views you have around it. So I can only imagine coming up there and having a nice glass of wine and and just admiring those beautiful views that surround your venue. So I guess, uh, how did you kind of get your start in in winemaking? What was it that led you to get to that process where, you know, you wanted to be involved with wine? Well, I think the, the primary thing is I grew up on a farm and I always wanted to come back to the farm as I looked at, at uh, stopping my academic career. And I made a point to visit lots of different wine regions of the world. And so we've tasted wines on all continents that have wine. And uh, we've been all over the world tasting wines. And so we thought that we could do a pretty good job of, ma- of growing grapes here in Montgomery County. And we selected a site over an extended period of time that we thought the microclimate would actually be able and be conducive to doing doing excellent grapes. And that has proven to be pretty correct. And I guess coming from that, what are some of your, I'd say your favorite wines that you produce there at the winery and which ones might kind of come as a challenge due to the type of growing limitations you might have in in Montgomery County? (laughs) Yes, probably my favorite wine is our Syrah, and that's probably the one that gives us the most challenge. And so uh, our Cabernet Franc is an easy grape to grow for us. Our Medellot is relatively simple, and then we grow an array of white wines in our Pinot Gris, our um, Tramonet, our Chardonnay, and our Vidal Blanc are our primary white grapes, and they all do very well. They're easy to grow. Very nice. So it sounds like there's a great variety there that we'd like to try to dive into. So anybody listening, 
you know, be sure that when we are talking to these wineries today about their wonderful products that you make sure to plan some time to go up and visit. And I guess with that being said, Rick, let's hear a little bit about your backstory. How did you kind of get your start in this whole winery business and, and what kind of was that realization point that this is what you wanted to do? Uh, so I'm a scientist by training, a biochemist, and I grew up in wine. My grandfather made wine and my father made wine. Um, and I was doing my postdoctoral work out in New Mexico. I was able to volunteer a lot of time at a winery in, in New Mexico. And after that, I said to myself, one day, I really, really want to have a winery and I'm going to do that when I retire. Um, I was in the biotech industry for over a decade and was able to um, move back down to this area. And just like Ivan had said, after a very long search for the right property, we found, we found a spot that seemed to fit and we started planting vines. Um, so that, that's really how we got into it. Uh, it. It blew completely out of control because we thought it would be a hobby at first. Then it turned into a real wine business. And um, yeah, so we've got 10 acres in one field uh, and our, that's where our tasting room is located. We have another uh, block of vineyards across the street. And then we have 33 acres out in Floyd County as well. Uh, they're not, all, it's not all under vine. And we make Cabernet Franc, Petit Mensang, Vidal Blanc, um, Chardonnay, Chamberson, and a host of other grapes as well. Uh, my favorite right now is our Petit Mensang. It's very citrusy, uh, really, really nice wine to drink. Wonderful. So it sounds like, again, some really nice variety that you have there. And I guess um, thinking about it, what, what is probably your favorite wine? And I would say also the same question I asked to Ivan, what is probably the most difficult one or the one that gives you the most challenge? Oh, so in terms of our white wine, uh, Petit Mensang is just a wonderful grape. It's also very difficult to grow um, here on this property, but and we only have a small, very small harvest of that. Uh, the other thing that we grow here are figs, and our fig wine has won a Governor's Cup gold medal in the past. Uh, it sells out very, very quickly, and right now it's sold out, but that's one of my favorite dessert wines to drink. Wonderful. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was something that I think is really interesting in the wine world is that, you know, a lot of people, when they think about wine, unless they're uh, more involved in that community in that, that world is that wine comes from grapes. But in fact, you know, there's uh, blackberry, blueberry, you're, you're mentioned figs there. So I think it's an interesting process how you can use these different types of fruits uh, to create these drinks. And I guess it, this question could go out to the both of you. Do, do you both kind of experiment with different types of things or do you kind of stick with more of like your grapes or in this case, the figs too? Um, well, I'll, I'll talk to that. So we always do a grand experiment every year. And, but we always use only our uh, estate grown grapes. So this year we're trying to get a couple of ports, a red port and a white port. And the season allowed us to do that. Yeah, and I can speak to that just briefly. Um, we typically only really make wine from figs. We, we've made some raspberry wine in the past, 
Uh, everything else is grapes. Um, you will see on our menu a peach, a mango, a plum, a black currant, but that's uh, grape-based wine that's then infused with those fruits as fruit juice or fruit concentrate. Uh, we really don't make wine from fruit itself. Other fruits as well itself. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, that's that's something that I like a lot of our listeners to be able to learn about these different processes because I think that's one thing that's always intriguing when we're diving into these different industries and and sectors is that. When you can hear some of these behind the scenes, it kind of makes more sense of, you know, where where are these things that we love really coming from? So I think I think that's great to share. And I know you mentioned that you had received a, a governor's award in the past. And I believe, Ivan, you had received uh, a governor's award as well, haven't you? Yes, we uh, were fortunate enough this year to get a, a gold medal for our Syrah 19 and for our Chamberson, uh, dry Chamberson 2017. And uh, that's the first Syrah, as it's not a common grape in Virginia, to ever get a gold medal. And it's the second Chamberson to ever get a gold medal in Virginia. Wow. Well, definitely congratulations on that. And I know that, you know, it, it can be difficult uh, in those situations where, you know, like you're saying, those grapes are a little bit more difficult in Virginia. Because that's something I think some people might not think about, especially, you know, people like myself that aren't winemakers, is that, uh, there's certain areas across the United States where certain things are going to grow better than others. So, and I feel like Montgomery County has got some good spots, at least in the state of Virginia, that seem like they're pretty fertile um, from those uh, aspects of things. So, and I guess when we're talking about challenges uh, from, from each of you, uh, what were some of the biggest challenges that you feel like you've had to overcome throughout your processes. And this could be anything from, you know, getting your businesses up and going to, to the, the whining making process itself, or, or even a couple of years ago with the pandemic. So. Do you want someone to go first? <laughs> uh, let's see. Actually, I guess, well, Ivan, I believe you went first on the last one. So Rick, if you yeah, don't I did. Want to, to go on that one. Yeah, so our biggest challenges uh, at first when we first started was trying to make enough wine. Uh, we kept on running out and not having a full menu. We, we've overcome that, especially with COVID. Uh, we were closed for an entire year. We, we made a decision. It was a tough decision, but with all the restrictions during COVID, it just was not worth, worth it for us to stay open. So we closed March 25th, 2020 reopened February, end of February, 2021. Uh, and I think that was the right decision. And, but that was a huge challenge because we had to find other things for our employees to do because we kept them employed. Um, and that, that really throughout the entire history of the winery, that, that really has been the biggest challenge. Oh yeah. I can imagine that. And, um, Coming from someone that has like a more of a restaurant background, that's one of those things I learned in the industry very early on was it, it does take some time occasionally to, um, you know, figure out those demands, how much supply you need in, in order for the demand that's coming in. So you know, I've, I've been in your shoes before where it, maybe we ran out of burgers or chicken or, or whatever it may have been. So it, it's definitely a, a tough time to uh, go through that. And I guess while we are talking about uh, your employees and everything, how many employees would you say that you have at your business? Uh, so White Barrel has seven employees right now. Oh, excellent. Okay. 
that's actually a pretty good number because I knew, uh, you know, a lot of wineries and, and even some of the breweries I've been to is, you know, uh, wonderful local businesses. And, and, and that's one thing I love is, you know, to see those numbers, you're already sure that you're making an impact in the, the local communities of Montgomery County. So that's that's excellent. And then, Ivan, I guess we learned a little bit about some of your struggles with uh, the brewery side yesterday. So let's uh, let's take a deep dive. What are some challenges that you have faced with the the winemaking process or the business itself? Well, I think uh, the first year when we planted grapes, which was 2009, we did not anticipate what deer would do to decimate small grapes, small grapevines. And that was a big challenge. Basically, after a season of growing, there was nothing left on any of the grapes. And uh, luckily that recovered after we put a fence up the following year. And they have done quite well since that time. Um, we were particularly fortunate during COVID in that in the year 2019, we had decided to create an outdoor service area. And we do a, a flip up bar and we have a wine and beer garden. And that allowed us to keep people very separated. And we, on 165 acres, we could send people all over the place. And our business, once we reopened, was really very, very good. So our, our closing period was, was much shorter. We certainly struggled during the, the COVID shutdown, which has lasted almost three months. That, that was a challenge, but then we recovered rather rapidly there. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, I've heard those issues with the, uh, the wildlife. Uh, there was another winery I visited in Giles County, I believe it was last year, and they had an issue with birds. So their, their entire kind of grapevine space is just covered in like this huge netting uh, to keep it protected from the birds. So, I, I, you know, a lot of people don't think about that, but, you know, those grapes are essentially, those are your assets and the wildlife coming in, you can't just put up signs and tell them no. So, um, definitely see those challenges coming out too. So I, I, I should I should say that birds have been a nasty nasty <laughs> uh, issue forever. And then we also have these little things called raccoons. Oh, and yeah. they are a nasty little problem. They eat a fair amount of our grapes every year, and uh, so it's been tough. Last year, I think we finally got the bird issue somewhat under control by using something called fright kites all over the vineyard. And then we also were able to get some feral cats and they were probably the best bird deterrent we've ever seen. Wow. And last year we just didn't lose much from birds. We lost some from raccoons. Okay. So it seems like you get one of the, one of the pests under control and then another one kind of starts to come along. So yes. I guess, uh, we're, we're talking about your, your uh, winery as well. How many do you have employed at your location? Right now, I, I did a quick count. We probably have 20 people. Okay. Uh, and we will build that up to 25 to 30 during the summer. Gotcha. Okay. And I guess that kind of would make sense in a way, too, because you were telling us yesterday that you have a, a kitchen and you're located on a farm. So I'm sure there's a lot of variety of things that people help you manage and take care of there. Absolutely. We have the lavender, we have the maple syrup in, the, in February. We have all these things going on all year long. And so we keep a fair staff going all the time. Wonderful. Yeah. Glad to hear that. And it sounds like that uh, there's always something special happening and, and plenty for everybody to be involved with, you know, from the employee side there. So I, I love that. And Rick, I guess we'll come to you on the question. It's, I, I think it's very interesting. I always like to learn um, 
why somebody chooses the location that they're at, whether it's, you know, that's where you were born and raised, or maybe you have friends and family there, or you just stumbled upon it. It's always fascinating to figure out, you know, so why did you choose Montgomery County? So I made the choice when I lived outside the Washington, D.C. area, and we were doing basically looking at maps from Pennsylvania to North Carolina. And we were looking for a very dry place, someone that some place that was consistently dry, some place that had the right elevation and on average had the right growing degree grape, growing degree days for growing grapes. Uh, we picked five locations and then narrowed it down. Um, I went to Virginia Tech for eight years. And so it was kind of like going home, even though we're about 30 minutes away from Virginia Tech. Uh, and we are sitting in a very, very interesting microclimate that is extremely dry. It's called the Dry Valley. Um, we average between 31 and 35 inches of rain a year. Uh, although you wouldn't have known that yesterday, it downpoured here. <laughs> but um, grapes don't like wet feet. And we certainly don't like a lot of rain or humidity uh, during the summer because it can lead to mold and mildew on, on the leaves. And so this spot is very interesting that it's, it is very dry. It's very good elevation. Um, and we have a prevailing wind. There's always a breeze, which keeps, keeps the mold and things dry on, on the leaves during the summer. So it, it really ended up being a location decision. Uh, and once we were here, we, we started up and got everything going and confirmed that it's, it's a very good spot for growing grapes. That's, that's a great story. Like I, I never would have imagined that that's how the, the environment would have been there. And, and I never would have thought that, you know, you would have found that in Montgomery County, Virginia, because typically, like, I guess for me, just from what little bit I know, I think about these different climates and things, but that actually makes a lot of sense now that you're explaining it to me. So that's a, that's a fantastic reason. Yeah. Uh, we, we've, we've, we've been here 16 years and we keep kept precipitation records each year. We consistently get half the rain that Blacksburg or Roanoke gets. Wow. That is fascinating. And Wow. And then to be so close to those locations, I guess it probably has a lot to do with the geographical layout, maybe like the mountains, I would assume. Yeah. If you go, if you look on Google Earth at our, our spot and, and look out, you can actually see where the rain shadows are um, based on the mountains. It's a very, very small um, spot that is drier. Uh, literally, it'll rain down the street. Uh, but this one spot is very unique. Very neat. That is a very interesting story. Wow. I'm just there's trying to soak in all that information. Sorry, there's there's video on Facebook of us looking at the clouds parting um, above us. On a I mean, people take video of it all the time now, customers. They, they don't believe it until they see it. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. It makes me think about this time. I, I was driving down Interstate 81, and on my side of the interstate, uh, it was just as clear a sunny day as possible, but on the opposite side of the highway, it's just pouring down the rain and as dark as can be. So it, it's interesting things you can encounter here in Virginia. So thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. And then sure. Ivan, uh, let's hear about, uh, so what made you choose your location? I know that you said there's a lot of beautiful views out there and I assume that probably has a little bit to do with it, but is it similar to what uh, Rick was saying as far as growing conditions or? Well, it's interesting, Rick, 
uh, because we have the same issue with rain. We have Paris Mountain on one side and we have Brush Mountain on the other. And storms tend to come right to us within a half a mile of our farm and then they separate and go to the mountains. And so we also get probably about half the rain that Blacksburg or Roanoke gets. And that's really quite intriguing that we both have that kind of uh, criteria. The area is um, definitely um, much less rainy than anything around us. Um, and it's a, a not unusual for us to look down the mountain and drive down the bottom of the hill and it's raining like you wouldn't believe and we're completely dry. If you go the other way towards Brush Mountain, it's raining over there as well. So those are the issues, but our, our primary issue was to be close to Virginia Tech because I teach at Virginia Tech. I had looked at property all over really Giles County um, and uh, Floyd County, but I really wanted Montgomery County and we were able to find this particular piece of property. We have a south uh, east, southwest facing slope for our vineyards. And they are um, and they are always rising and falling air. And so of, of all the years that we've been here now since 2009, we've never had a frost issue. Our grapes tend to mature later and therefore they don't tend to be subject to frost in May, in April. <clears throat> and so life is pretty good for all that. That's great. Yeah, I think those are wonderful reasons as to uh, to why you chose your locations. And I'm glad you both were very fortunate in finding, it seems like, the perfect spots for each of you. So, And uh, if I understood correctly, uh, Rick, you had went to Virginia Tech, and then, Ivan, you teach at Virginia Tech. That's right. <clears throat> That's a really neat. That's correct. I like that little bit of a connection that we have there that you know, both of your Montgomery County wineries and have associations with Virginia Tech. So that's that's pretty cool how everything's kind of circled back around there. And I guess, you know, thinking about the hardships you've had, thinking about uh, why you chose the locations you're at, I guess now we'll get to the point or the part where we talk about your future plans and projections. You know, where would you like to see your uh, businesses go over, say, the next five to 10 years? And I guess, Ivan, uh, would you like to kickstart us with this one? Uh, yes. <clears throat> we um, were able to acquire a permit to build 18 cabins on the property. And that will be a huge issue for us in the long term. We're also building a second wedding and wine tasting venue on our property. That should be open somewhere around June 1st. And that will allow us to sell more wine, do more events, do more weddings and all the things that we do here. Um, and, and then we're continuing to grow our wine. This year, the, the, because it was such a beautiful harvest, we decided to hang some grapes a lot longer than normal. And we were able to, to, to begin to put, put a red port together with our Chamberson and to do a white port with our Vidal Blanc late harvest. And I think that's going to continue because what the result has been absolutely stunning. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like you got some really big plans and, and future projections and, and some coming up here pretty quickly. So I can't wait to see how that's going to work out for you over the, you know, the coming months and, and to the years in the future. So I think that's going to be a great uh, a time and exciting adventure for everybody to be getting involved. And uh, Rick, so what, what's some plans that you have for uh, your winery as we're kind of moving forth through the coming months and years or, or however far you'd like to project for us? Yeah, sure. So uh, I like to think of 
things as short-term goals and long-term goals. Uh, our, our immediate short-term goals are to fully recover from COVID. Uh, we, before COVID, we had a location in Blacksburg. We had events at the winery every week that would be you know, full of participants and, and people coming in. And we, our short-term goal is to get us back into that mode and have hundreds of people come every week and enjoy our wine. Uh, before COVID, we were thinking about offering beer, um, but in the period that's passed, we've done some market research and we find that starting a new brewery is probably a really bad idea because there are so many out there already that are fully established. So uh, one of our long-term goals is to branch into distillation and spirits. Uh, we have already done a lot of experimentation in that area. Uh, we, we've started growing herbs in a greenhouse uh, two years ago. We think we've got that mastered now to make different kinds of gin. And so our one long-term goal is to be a fully established winery slash distillery by the end of next year. Wonderful. That's some very exciting news. So I think, uh, you know, trying to pursue that adventure and it sounds like you've done tons of research and, and you've got the knowledge and the know-how of how these things are going to work. So I'll be excited to see when you get that operation up and going, how things are going to develop over time. I think it's going to be a great uh, additional piece to what you already have going on in Montgomery County. And I guess my next question here, these will kind of be a little bit of more of like spitfire pieces that we can throw out. And then I'll give either uh, both of you the floor to kind of throw any thoughts that maybe I've missed here, because I know these are your passions and I'm sure there's areas that maybe I haven't asked about or spoke on. But uh, firstly is, is, um, are, are your locations dog friendly? Because I know we have a lot of listeners that have pets and they like to know if they can bring their animals to these locations and then followed up after that is do you do any type of special events at your locations that are maybe uh, common reoccurring or maybe just kind of one-off events? And I guess, Rick, we'll let you start on that one. Yeah, sure. So are we dog friendly? Uh, we are definitely dog friendly on our patio and out in our vineyards. Uh, we like folks to make sure they're on a leash and they're not rabid going after people, but for the most part, we're friendly outside. Um, inside, only service dogs are allowed. Um, and we do have dogs here pretty much every day. Uh, in terms of events, uh, we are just now really reestablishing a lot of our events. Uh, we do a lot of dinners. Uh, I do a lot of private dinners. We, we've got at least six private dinners booked this month. Uh, and uh, we're gearing up for more for May with graduations coming. So uh, private dinners and catering to corporate events. Uh, we see a lot of Virginia Tech and Radford University departments over the summer. They do a lot of retreats at the winery uh, because our tasting room is set up to be a, like a corporate event type of center. Um, and then we have a lot of local groups. We have brain injury group. We have a book club. They all meet at the winery on a regular basis. Um, on Wednesdays, we do bingo on Thursday. Once a month, we do a girl's night out. Um, but we try to stick to simple types of things. We don't like to do really large festivals anymore. It's, um, COVID's really changed the way we operate. So that, that's pretty much what we do here. Yeah, it sounds like you definitely have a great selection of them. I know uh, it's one of those things where 
there's a little bit of something for everybody. So maybe if somebody's not as interested in one type of thing that's going on, they could come to another. Personally, for me, I think all of them sound very exciting. So I could see myself going to all those. So thank you for sharing and definitely happy to know that uh, there's some pet friendly abilities up there. So I appreciate that. And Ivan, if uh, you wouldn't mind to inform us a little bit about uh, how the pets work around your neck of the woods, as well as some events that you guys might hold up there. So um, we are also dog friendly on leash. As long as they are well behaved, it works out really well. We, um, we do uh, two major festivals, and that's the lavender season, which goes from the last two weeks of, July, of June to the first two weeks of July. And then we do our maple syrup and sugar maple tapping in the month of, of February. And that's, those two have been really quite popular. We are, a lot of weddings occur here. That's probably our biggest uh, revenue stream starting in May. We just had our first wedding last weekend. And right now we're doing a lot of university functions. And that is a, a really big part of our April revenue. Uh, and we go through the season as well with corporate events. Um, we do a um, blue jean ball in February. We do uh, uh, lots of things during Valentine's Day. And we also do a grape stomping festival. And that has been a really popular thing. And that occurs usually in the second or third week of September. So what exactly happens during the stomping festival? Is that where everybody's encouraged to come stomp the grapes? Like uh, that, That's it. That's it. We have, we have bins of grapes and the folks love to jump in and stomp them. And it works out really well. <laughs> that, that would be a lot of fun. And you said this happens in September. Yes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and add that to my calendar because that sounds pretty exciting. And, and it's I'm, all about when the grapes are ripe. And so we, okay. we, and when we have some, a window, usually we'll pick it on a Sunday as mm -hmm. our, we have so many weddings, particularly on Saturdays. And so that works out again to really fill in a beautiful day, usually in September. I see. Okay. And actually that, that brings up a question I didn't think about that I'd like to ask to both of you. And I guess uh, Rick, we'll start with you on this one is uh, when we're thinking about smashing or stomping the grapes to get them how we need them to be. I, I assume you don't always just put a barrel and jump on them barefoot. Like, like we were talking about just now, do you, do you have like a machine that processes the grapes or, or how do you do that process? Yeah. So we do everything by hand. We do all of our har harvest picking by hand. Uh, we do uh, crushing and distemming with a machine, it's crusher to stemmer. Uh, we do open fermentation on our reds um, in, a, in a bin, and then everything gets pressed in our pneumatic press, uh, and then we go for fermentation. So we've got all the standard winery equipment you typically would see at any winery. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And. Did you want me to answer that too? Oh, yes, if you don't mind, because I'm assuming y'all probably don't smash it with your feet all year. So, Well, we only smash them when they're ripe. But um, last year, we made a commitment to actually do uh, stomping grapes rather than crusher destemmers oh, okay. to, to, in, to increase the, um, the texture and the, um, the amount of tannins coming from, from the, uh, the stems. And our 2021 wines now, our reds, are all sitting in oak barrels. And um, we think that they're going to be something awesome because of that change. 
And so we do use crusher destemmer on some grapes, but we have made a decision to actually do foot stomping for several of our particularly bold red wines. Wow. That's interesting to hear that. Like um, thinking about the different ways and processes you can go about that. I think that's really fascinating um, as far as how it, it'll change things up. Cause you said it kind of changes up the texture a little bit, correct? It, it makes a huge difference in the flavor and there's a growing trend, particularly, well, if you start off in Europe in Portugal, still all the ports are foot stomped, but there is a growing trend in California to do foot stomping rather than a crusher destemming. Now it doesn't mean that, and I don't, this is the first year we've done it. We're pretty excited about what the result have been. We'll compare it to our 19 and 20 uh, wines and make a decision as if we continue that way. It's a lot more work doing it that way. Mm. Oh, I, I can bet that there is a lot more that way. So I guess when we're talking about marketing and branding, though, with y'all's wines, um, so what kind of what I guess what is the creative ideas behind maybe your your branding and, and the artwork that maybe is on the labels? Is, is there uh, something significant to each of your artworks or? And I believe, Ivan, I guess we'll let you go ahead and continue on that thought and then we'll pass it off to Rick. Yes, uh, we uh, had done <clears throat> initially kind of a gate and a big B because of the gates coming into our property. But we went to uh, an, a company, uh, Joba, not so long ago to create a, a different logo. And now we have, a, I think, a lovely logo, which is uh, a little bit more about the mountains, but it's all white. And, it's, uh, it's, and we're pretty excited about what, when we change that. Our labeling has changed dramatically over the many years. We have to keep thinking about what that looks like. And um, we sell 96% of all the wines we make right here at our winery. We have a small distribution, but we really are about people coming out here for destination to visit the mountains and to, to spend a day and an afternoon here uh, at our beautiful site. That's wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that. I was kind of trying to look at the logos a little bit more in depth as you were explaining it. So then now, you know, that story and those ideas make a lot more sense to me. So that was, that was a great uh, lead way and segue into that. Cause I, my background is in marketing and design. So it's always intriguing for me to figure out, you know, why, why was this color chose? Why was this font or, and, you know, incorporating the mountains and, and the gates and the farm and everything. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I, I love that. And, and Rick, let's talk about yours with the white barrel. Uh, what, what was kind of the idea behind the name? And then how did you come up with your logo design? So great question. I don't want to get too tech marketing technical on everybody, but I'll, I'll say that in late 2014, we realized sales had become stagnant. Uh, we weren't growing like we were hoping to. Uh, we decided that we would do some market surveys and, and not local market surveys. We, we went to four cities, not on the East Coast, and had folks judge our labels and the stories that were on the side of the bottle and things like that, you know, color. And we basically found out that everybody in Southwest Virginia loved our logos and everybody outside of Southwest Virginia hated them. And the conclusion from the marketing firm was, well, they like it because they know who you are. So we hired a marketing firm that's not even in the United States. Uh, they're called Rusty Monkey. And we handed over the entire brand and marketing to them in 20, early 2015. Uh, 
they picked the name. The name is White Barrel was a name they picked. They picked our color scheme. They picked everything about how we uh, present on social media, including our font choices and everything. And right now, to this day, seven years later, everything goes through them. Uh, nothing is shown to the public until it's checked by them. And uh, that's how we've been operating ever since. And aside from COVID, we had literally quadrupled our sales uh, up into from between 2015 and 2019. Um, <clears throat> so that that's how we came up with that. It's, it's very technical, but uh, we are not marketers, we're scientists. And I always have said, you hire people smarter than you um, in areas that you don't quite fit. And so that's why we do what we do. I love that. And I really can't agree with you more. Uh, I think the logo and everything, they've done a fantastic job. I think the whole brand looks phenomenal. Both of your brands are just absolutely uh, great as far as how you're projecting. And, you know, I think that's that's a wonderful thing to put out there is um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately is the idea of jack of all trades versus a master of something. And, you know, it appears to me that both of you are very much so masters of this process of, of craft making. So I think, you know, putting forth your effort and your time into those things that you're passionate about, you're very skilled in, is the best place uh, to be putting yourself. So that, that's wonderful. So thank you for sharing those marketing pieces for me. That's a little guilty pleasure of my own here from time to time. So at this point, what I'd like to do is is open up the floor for either of you to share anything that I might have missed. You know, if there was something that you would like to answer to everybody, such as, you know, what they might experience when they come by to your location or uh, uh, something about your wines or something you want to brag about yourself a little bit, feel free to uh, feel free to do that. And uh, uh, Rick, we'll go ahead and let you kickstart this one. Okay, well, that's a pretty open and broad question. Um, <laughs> I let's see a couple things that have happened in the last two years. Uh, we have a we hired a winemaker from Chateau Morset. His name is Jason Crowley. He's absolutely okay. fantastic, and he has been able to be a mastermind of all the new wines that are coming out. Um, I was trained in more of an ancient winemaking style, and he has a very modern um, Western style of winemaking. And so between the two of us, uh, it's been a real fantastic journey to see how the wines this year have been coming out. Um, so that that's one highlight uh, I wanted to mention. Another one is that our tasting room is, is open, and we have a covered patio now that's uh, perfect year round, even in the wintertime, it's, it's wonderful to sit out there. Uh, and we're all about the experience. We want to make sure that when folks come here, uh, they're going on their little mini vacation, even if it's for an hour to get out of the house. Um, and we're very centrally located. We're only three miles off of 81, 10 minutes from Radford and 30 minutes from Virginia Tech. So I don't know what else to say other than just come out and see us. Wonderful. And yeah, definitely anybody listening, you know, these uh, wineries are fantastic and Montgomery County is a very accessible location. So there's no reason at all. Anybody listening here today can't make it to visit anyone. So Rick, thank you for that uh, last piece. I know I'm sorry to throw you out on the spot like that, but I always like to kind of open up some space for you to uh, just mention anything that you would like and, and give you that opportunity. So thank you for sharing that insight and information with me. 
You're welcome. And Ivan, I guess I will let you have the floor and put you on the spot for a moment. Is there anything else that you would like to mention about your winery, the wines, or just what you would like to say to everybody listening today? Um, well, we have a full kitchen, so we always have food available. We are open Wednesdays through Sunday, Friday nights until 8.30 and open until 6 on the other days. <clears throat> we have many covered areas, mostly because of the potential for weather and things like that. And that works out well. We are a destination. We are 12 miles from Blacksburg and about 15 miles or 16 miles from Salem. And so you have to take a little drive into the back country over the mountains and uh, spend an afternoon with us. I think uh, anybody who comes out here would love the views and love the wine and love the food. Yes, any, anything that you have to kind of follow along some country back roads to get to is always, in my opinion, something very much so worth getting to. So, you know, going out and spending a day at your location and just, like you said, enjoying the views and just enjoying some rest and relaxation with some good company, I think is sounds like a really great time. So, and I guess with that, uh, I have one last thing I want to find out about because here in Southwest Virginia, along with our craft makers, we're also very intrigued about music. So I guess the last thing I want to make sure everybody gets to hear about today is do you have music at your uh, locations, whether it is live performance or if you just like to play some music over some speakers? Can we expect to have some musical entertainment at your location? And yeah. uh, Ivan, I guess, yeah, if you want to go ahead and start us off on that one. So we have music every Friday evening. Okay. That usually starts at around 530 and goes until we close. And then for all of our festivals, we tend to have music as well. The lavender season, we tend to have a harpist. Grape yeah. stomping, we tend to have different kinds of music, a little more up-tempo. And then when we do our various uh, events, like our uh, Blue Jean Ball, that's got a, a band and, and or uh, music brought in all the time. Wonderful. Excellent. Yeah, I guess that does make sense to have some faster tempo music to kind of keep up the motivation for the stomping. So, yeah, Definitely a Spanish kind of uh, tempo. That's a great stop. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that definitely will get you motivated to go. So, yep. all right. And then, uh, Rick, as far as your uh, location and any events you have, um, do you have some music regularly at your location? And, and about what types of music is that would that be? So we we used to do music like Ivan every Friday night starting at 530. Uh, with COVID and with how we've reorganized, uh, we do we do music now on occasion. So not every okay. Friday maybe every two or three Fridays and people can find the schedule on, on social media, either Facebook or Instagram. Uh, and the type of music, it's all original. Um, okay. Not to get too technical, but there's all sorts of music licensing that's required for establishments. And we just decided that we we're just going to go with anybody that can do all original music. And so we have, literally all different types of music being played here from classical to rock or whatever it is, as long as it's original from the artist, uh, it can be played. Uh, and then during the summer, we do movies out in the vineyard on occasion. Um, that's, that's pretty much what we do for music. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that in insight with me. I know um, going to these events, I think, is always a lot of fun. So I'll definitely make sure that everybody hears about anything that y'all have coming up by 
reminding everybody listening to be sure to check out the show notes because I will be including links to everybody that we've spoke with here today and how you can find out more information about their venues. Go out and try their wines and really, you know, support these small businesses here in Southwest Virginia and Montgomery County because this is the the backbone and livelihood of our futures is, is our traditions and our culture. So again, to everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in today. And then Rick and Ivan, thank you both for joining me. David, thank you for pairing all of us together for this wonderful episode. And, and I hope you guys have an amazing day and a great year. And when I get up to Montgomery County, I'll be sure to come out and check out your winery. So 